down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the stream. I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. Hoping to be free, found a new home in the cemetery. In today's world, hyperbole and exaggeration are commonplace. Growing up, you might have heard your dad telling your mom, You've cooked enough food to feed an army. Although she might have prepared a very large meal, it certainly wouldn't be enough to feed an entire regiment. And we use this type of speech in our attempt to overstate something, knowing that it isn't actually true. Some examples of hyperbole in everyday speech are My purse weighs a ton. It's raining cats and dogs. He's older than the hills. Or she's read that book a million times. It seems that in today's society, exaggeration is practically required in everyday conversation. And many people use this form of excess to express their feelings For instance, oh, I'm so tired I could fall over. I was so embarrassed that I nearly died. I'm so sad I'm drowning in my tears. Or, this is the worst day of my life. On the day that Betty Bond's husband, Jr., passed away, she might have said that it was the worst day of her life. And up to that point, it very well could have been. But poor Betty would have had no way of knowing what the future had in store for her. Merriam-Webster defines fate as being a power that is believed to control what happens in the future. While Wikipedia defines it as ordered or inevitable events, that are unavoidable. Sometimes people will confuse fate with destiny. Although destiny is similar to fate in that it refers to one's future as being predetermined, the difference is that destiny depends on the choices one makes in his or her life. Unfortunately, We make choices based on our feelings or circumstances at a particular moment, and we have no way of knowing how those actions will affect our future. By the time Betty turned 23 years old, she was unemployed, widowed, and mother to four daughters, all of whom were under the age of five. Betty was rightfully devastated at this point in her life. When her beloved husband died, she expressed that her heart had died with him. When a tree dies, it may continue to stand, and much life continues to take place within and around it, such as the small animals 
that burrow into its space for shelter, or the fungi that grows and spreads along its bark, or the soft-bodied insects that infest its rotting remains in hopes of feeding off of its decaying wood. Like that tree, Betty remained standing and perfunctorily going through the motions of life for the sake of her daughters, who needed protection, shelter, and sustenance from their mother. In nature, one way to determine if a tree is still alive is by bending its branches. You can test a small twig by bending it between two fingers. If it bends easily, then it's still alive. But if it is brittle and breaks easily, then it is most likely dead. Although Betty's life circumstances might have caused her to feel dead inside, just like that living tree, she bent, but she did not break. As the weeks and months passed, Betty realized that she needed to be strong for her daughter's well-being as well as for her own. She found a house in the same town as her parents, and with the help of her family, she quickly painted and decorated it in order to make it into a home. Knowing that she wouldn't be able to rely only on assistance, she decided to go to beauty school and a short time later found work as a licensed beautician. The job she found was at a reputable and popular beauty shop, and before long, she established a lengthy and loyal client base. Life was on the upswing for her and her children, but something still seemed to be missing. Although she was surrounded by family, her life felt somewhat incomplete. At that time in society, it wasn't commonplace for women to serve as the head of a household. And there almost seemed to be an unwritten rule that a woman must find a spouse if she's to be culturally accepted into society. Worse still, single women were often the object of gossip and jealousy among the other women who were prone to use derogatory phrases such as hot to trot or eager beaver to describe a single female. After becoming suddenly single, caused either from abandonment or by the death of your spouse, today's experts recommend taking time before attempting to plan out your new life. In our world of instant everything and social media overload, most dating sites and relationship counselors agree on basic rules, such as not posting pictures of or giving age information about your children on dating apps or social media sites. They also agree that new love interests should not serve as disciplinarians or dole out punishment to your children. 
Another commonality is that parents should invest in family time that does not include his or her new love interest. Disagreement among the experts comes in regards to what is the appropriate amount of time that should pass before entering into a new relationship, simply because each person's life and circumstances differ. In the mid-1950s America, and in the world for that matter, social media wasn't a concern for Betty and the other singles who were re-entering the dating pool, and dating sites were unheard of. The last thing Betty expected at this point in her life was to be all alone and raising four children. She still held fast to her love for her husband and treasured the memories of their life together. But either because of societal pressures or due to her need for companionship and belongingness, Betty began dating. After some time, she met a man named Dean Dyer, a truck driver who was originally from Georgia. The two began a relationship, and within a short while, they were married. A couple of years later, Betty and Dean welcomed her fifth and their first child together, a daughter whom they named Kim. A few years after that, Betty and Dean welcomed their second child and Betty's first and only son, whom they named Mark. Life for this large and blended family seemed to be as normal and typical as any other family during this time in the late 1950s. In that Dean's profession earned a standard level of pay, it was sufficient, but not adequate enough to provide for a family with six children. So Betty continued working as a beautician at a local beauty salon. Betty took pride in her family and in her work, although very few women worked outside of the home during this era. But like most people who have a lot of responsibility in life, the hectic schedule and overwhelming workload can begin to take a toll on that person's emotional and physical well-being. Oftentimes, those individuals will resort to unhealthy forms of coping mechanisms to help them deal with their life stressors. Betty was no exception, and the once naive and wholesome girl who wanted nothing more in life than to marry her childhood sweetheart and maintain a happy home, transformed into a weary and doubt-filled woman who relied on the comfort of a cigarette and occasional drink to make her life more manageable and easier to endure. It wasn't that she didn't love her second husband, but due to a brain injury, he received a few years into their marriage. He changed from what once was a hard-working, supportive, and involved husband and father into a volatile and erratic person 
with an at times hair-triggered temper. Betty tried her best to hold together the pieces of their home and family by performing the day-to-day -day responsibilities and maintaining some sense of normalcy for their children. But even her well-intended efforts couldn't prevent fate from dealing another devastating blow to her and her now six children. One of life's greatest moral questions is, why do bad things happen to good people? This has been explored in many sermons, classrooms, and writings, but there simply isn't a simple answer. One of the most renowned authors on this topic, Rabbi Harold S. Kushner, struggled greatly with this issue when his own three-year-old son was diagnosed with a rapid aging disease and died shortly after his 14th birthday. In the culmination of his research regarding this topic, Mr. Kushner concluded that there are basically four reasons for this occurring. First of all, it sometimes just goes that way. Secondly, we are given the freedom of choice and consequently, life is full of injustices. His third reasoning was that nature is morally blind. And lastly, he determined that there may be corners of the universe in which God's light hasn't yet penetrated. He completed the last chapter of his best-selling book by surmising that the ability to forgive and the ability to love are the weapons God has given us to live fully, bravely, and meaningfully in this less-than-perfect world. God's light hadn't yet penetrated the woods behind their house, but something bad happened, and it happened to Betty and to her six children, who ranged in ages from five to 15 years old. When Kushner proposed that bad things happen because life sometimes just goes that way, what are the chances of it happening twice? On the evening of Thursday, April 16, 1964, Dean Dyer, the 32-year-old husband of Betty Dyer, father to two of their children, and father figure to Betty's four older daughters, walked into the woods behind their house and didn't walk out. The police were called by neighbors who discovered Mr. Dyer's body hanging from a tree. For the second time in just over a decade, Betty had to inform her children that their father was dead. And even still, this day wouldn't be the worst day of her life. Water down, women. Diluted dreams
dreams are home for joy has been washed down the stream. Grab a shovel and join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered down women. Searching for love, no pain in this world, with no help from above.